0: hi everybody welcome to trek trek i'm your host justin chang and with me is randy nelson
1: Hey, welcome. Wait, you just welcomed me.
0: <laughs> it doesn't really work. Um, happy to be here. Yeah, we're uh, back. Uh, we took a little break.
1: Yeah. It was kind of like the mid-season <laughs> the mid-season break. And now we're back and with a with a whole new a whole new truck to trek on.
0: Yeah, we finished up uh, Star Trek Voyager last time, and we're gonna start Star Trek Enterprise. Mm,
1: It's our new enterprise,
0: if you will. Exactly. Uh, Season one, episodes one and two, Broken Bow.
1: Which, by the way, back in the day, uh, I totally was like, wait, Broken Bow? And then I forgot it was the name of a place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The original air date, I will never forget this, September 26, 2001, it it uh, debuted on my 21st birthday
1: oh my god no wonder you wanted to talk about this (laughs) wow that's pretty cool
0: that we're talking about something that
1: premiered on such a momentous occasion for you did you actually watch this when it premiered or were you like too busy being a 21 year old
0: no i was such a cool guy that i was watching star trek enterprise (laughs) instead of drinking
1: were you, was there like a whole thing planned around this, or are you just like, I'm just going to kick it at home
0: uh, and that's, watch some, Enterprise? Some friends from high school who are also Star Trek fans. Uh, oh, man. To check it out. That's awesome. Uh, they were expecting more drinks, but I, <laughs> I don't know. Did you make like Romulan ale
1: or like anything, or was it all synthahol?
0: It was all synthahol.
1: Oh, okay. Good, good, good man. Good man. <laughs> I think I was. um. Uh, if I might reminisce for a second, uh, this would have been, well, I was working on PSM at the time, actually. Um, and this would have been 2000, what the heck was that? Was that like the PlayStation 2 era? So yeah, what was I doing? PlayStation 2 era. I don't know. We'll have to look up, you know, video games and other stuff that came out around the time of these episodes. Is <laughs> unlike uh, Voyager, you know, there was actually some stuff uh, going on in semi-modern video gaming when this yeah. happened.
0: Or not? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to talk about Star Trek. Yeah, That's we're so talking. Well, seen. there are Star Trek video games. Oh, true. Um,
1: sure. At some point, maybe we can talk about those.
0: Yeah, this we've talked about this off mic, but this is a very dense two-parter, and uh, oh boy yeah let's just dive right into it yeah man good luck <laughs> <laughs> we open on a model of a spacecraft a kid says the famous where no man has gone before line uh which was apparently originated by dr zephram cochran played by james cromwell in star trek first contact yeah was the guy who created the warp ship that um they that's when they had first contact with the vulcans We learn that the boy's father is also building a ship, but this one is a real one, not a model. Uh, We see that the boy and his father live in San Francisco, the home of Starfleet. Uh, The boy is resentful of the Vulcans. He calls um, uh, an ambassador, Ambassador Pointy.
1: (laughs) I think it's from Buffy. Um, No, wait.
0: (laughs) No, that's uh, Mr. Pointy. Oh, right yeah he he doesn't like the Vulcans because they're holding humanity back and they're holding his or he the kid thinks that they're holding his dad back uh but the father defends the vulcans uh We learn of course that this this kid is Jonathan Archer. I did write a note later on that they don't really do a great job of introducing characters like it goes about twenty minutes into the episode before they start naming characters. <laughs>
1: It's just kinda like oh, well, that's the soon to be captain guy,
0: yeah, um
1: guy with guy with a southern drawl,
0: <laughs> uh thirty years later, cut to thirty years later, in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, a ship has crashed in a cornfield, A Klingon is on the run from some other aliens who are humanoid but have lizard like skin uh the Klingon runs into a silo. And one of the aliens squeezes his way underneath the silo door uh, in a special effects shot.
1: Yeah, it was pretty impressive, especially, you know, given this is Star Trek.
0: During this, the human farmer has seen the commotion and he's grabbed a plasma rifle. The Klingon escapes from the silo and the as the two aliens are running inside the silo the klingon uses his disruptor and the silo is completely obliterated in this huge michael bay size explosion <laughs> uh the the human farmer sees this destruction and the klingon unfortunately there are no universal translators and uh the human does not understand what the klingon's saying so the human shoots the klingon right in the chest Uh, That's when we hit the opening credits. Now, this was something of a controversy at the time. (sighs) It's very different. The music is very different than previous Star Treks.
1: The whole thing is very different. Yeah. I mean, uh, I made a note to say that this is Michael (laughs) (laughs) Bolton-esque.
0: All I'm going to say is it's been a long road. Oh, man. Getting from there to here
1: oh well you know they're not gonna hold me down no more or whatever i uh to be honest i made it about 10 percent of the way through this i thought i'm gonna be the good trek trekker and i'm going to kind of get through this even though i remembered from you know watching the pilot that's how like of the pilot this is what i remember the most and i i thought you know i know it's bad but i'm gonna I'm going to get through it for the audience uh, and and for the sake of discussion. I could not. I (laughs) skipped ahead on Netflix. I just couldn't do it. And um, I remember hearing this song, uh, a brief little detour here, but I remember hearing this song, I I want to say like two or three years ago, over the Muzak system in the local Safeway. (laughs) And it was with lyrics and everything. So I don't know if there's like some deal in place for this, but personally I would have probably have... uh, you know, just after the pilot, just never use this again. Uh, but I think that they were like committed to it for some reason, and it ended up being there for the whole thing.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, it's so un Star Trek. Mm-hmm. The opening credits, I sat through it.
1: Uh, oh man, you're a you're a stronger man than I.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was not looking forward to it. Unlike Voyager, where I watched the opening credits every time. Um, mm-hmm. This time, I was just like. Ugh. I guess I'll sit through it. So there's lots of imagery of exploration throughout the years. Um, when we come back from the opening, there's a shuttle carrying Captain Jonathan Archer and Chief Engineer Commander Charles Tucker the third, aka <laughs> Trip. Uh, we don't know their names really at this point. Uh, if you're just watching the show, I assume it, I think they assume that you've done some research on these characters (laughs) beforehand
1: (laughs) you know that's totally common
0: (laughs) well it is a star trek show. yeah yeah
1: yeah this was this show was clearly i'll just say it before i even get to the discussion it was clearly squarely aimed at serious trek fans i think it was and it wasn't yeah it's, well, this part of it, the fact that they are figuring you're already going to know the names of the characters was, at least.
0: Yeah, and I had to look up why he's called Trip. And, mm,
1: yeah, that's a good point.
0: Uh, it's because he's the third uh, Charles oh. Tugger. He's the triple. you know. Triple. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That was according to Wikipedia. I mean, that's pretty cool, but anyways. Um, yeah, they're in the shuttle. They're flying to Enterprise. Uh, you know, it's the standard captain sees the ship for the first time. You, you know, you see it in a lot of Star Trek shows. Mm-hmm. We learned that this ship can do up to warp 4.5, which is the fastest a ship can go at this time. Uh, I mean, obviously, compared to next generation, that's very slow.
1: Mm-hmm. And we and we know, oh, well, actually, we haven't gotten to that part on Voyager yet where they go past warp 10.
0: Right. Um. Yeah, as they're flying under the ship, uh, Trip, bumps into Enterprise's hull. <laughs> uh Archer gets a uh gets called to Starfleet medical on Earth. Uh on Earth some Starfleet and Vulcan personnel are talking about the Klingon. There's some tension between Starfleet and the Vulcans. Uh the Vulcans want to keep the humans in the dark a lot. Archer enters and immediately notices the Klingon which a Starfleet officer initially calls a kling The Klingon is a courier who's bringing information to the Klingon homeworld of Kronos. The Vulcan ambassador, Saval, he's the aforementioned ambassador pointy, <laughs> um, wants to talk he wants to delay the launch of Enterprise until this Klingon matter has been settled. And uh, the Vulcans explain that they want to avoid a conflict with the Klingons. By saying they would bring the courier's corpse to Kronos within a week. Archer is very confused about why they would say they're bringing a corpse when the Klingon is still alive. Uh, Archer checks with the doctor, uh, Dr. Phlox, uh, about the status of the Klingon, and uh, the Phlox says that he's still alive. And the Vulcans explain that Klingons find honor in death, and that the courier's, the courier's current situation is dishonorable, so they don't want to pull the plug. Archer is upset because, you know, he's not a murderer. He's tired of deferring to the to the uh Vulcans. T'Pol uh finally speaks up. She's the, you know, the female Vulcan. Uh she doesn't have a name at this point or she's not named at this point like so many other characters. <laughs> yeah. But we know she's T'Pol and um she speaks up and says that the humans have not proven themselves ready to go off on their own because they're a, a volatile species. Archer says that he'll take the Klingon alive to Kronos because he has the fastest ship. Uh, he just needs three days to assemble his team. This Starfleet Admiral agrees with Archer and because after a century of Vulcans overseeing everything, it's time to take the training wheels off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ambassadors and Starfleet admirals leave, and Archer recruits Phlox to be his chief medical officer. <laughs> like how arbitrary
1: it is. It's just like, oh, you're a doctor. You're right here. Um, you're going to just come with me?
0: Okay. <laughs> well, You're my chief medical officer. Yeah, I mean, he needs some chief medical officer. He's right there. Why Why not? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Phlox is an interesting character because, you know, he's another alien, but he's one that the humans are more friendly to than the Vulcans at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, he's also the the first non-Vulcan... Well, actually, no, he's not. I was going to say, well, he's the first friendly non-Vulcan, non-Vulcan uh, alien that we're introduced to. And he's a new, I believe, he's like the second new species of alien that's introduced in just like the first 10 minutes of the show.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So on Enterprise, Ensign Travis Mayweather, the helmsman... Mm-hmm. And Lieutenant Malcolm Reed, the tactical officer, uh, talk about the transporter platform. Mayweather is excited because the transporter has been approved for biotransport, but Reed isn't too keen on getting transported, and apparently neither is Archer. Uh, I'm going to say Archer a lot, and don't get confused with Sterling Archer from the FX TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Lana!
1: I can't do that well at all. But anyways.
0: Uh, yeah. Reed says, uh, Reed doesn't think he'll be able to get the weapons online in three days. And Mayweather says, Oh, it's just a delivery job. What do we need weapons for? And, uh, Reed says, well, you don't know how dangerous Klingons can be. They file their teeth before battle. Mm. So Reed and Mayweather are walking around the ship. Construction is still underway, uh, in the background, we learned that Mayweather did not grow up on Earth and he's not used to the artificial gravity on the ship because his dad kept the, uh, his cargo ship at 0.8 G.
1: No, it puts a spring in his step. That's right. <laughs>
0: uh, in engineering, Trip is examining the warp core. He's intru- uh, he is introduced to Mayweather, who is excited about the prospect of going warp 4.5. This is when we... Officially get introduced to a lot of these characters. Uh, I mean, by name. we are obviously seen the characters before, but anyway. <laughs> on Earth in Brazil, Hoshi Sato is teaching a language class. Uh, Archer wants her on his ship, but she's made a commitment to teach and won't be free for another three weeks. So Archer plays her some Klingon, and that really piques her interest. Uh, she would be the first human to speak to Klingons, which finally convinces her to join the crew.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like a xenolinguist, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of like um, Uhura's character from the J.J. Abrams Star Treks.
0: Right. Uh, Back on Enterprise, uh, Trip and Archer are talking about having a Vulcan science officer slash chaperone on the ship. Uh, Archer says it was part of the agreement that they made with the Vulcans and she'll be gone once their mission is complete. Uh, we also see Archer's dog, Porthos. It's a beagle. <laughs> um, T'Pol enters and immediately notices Porthos uh, Vol- because Vulcans' females have a heightened sense of smell. We're finally formally introduced to Commander Charles Tucker, Trip, and uh, Sub-Commander T'Pol. Uh, Tapal assures Archer that she is not there to spy on them, and she's there to assist them, and she's not happy with her assignment. Well, I mean, happy, you know, Vulcans, don't show
1: them. <laughs> you know what she I is, mean. She is uh, visibly nonplussed. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, there's a launch ceremony in which... Uh, Cochran and C- Captain Archer's dad are credited for leading the way to the creation of the warp five engine. A video of Cochran from 32 years ago is played. It talks about the powerful warp engine that will allow them to quote, explore strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations. They will go boldly where no man has gone before. I noticed that they didn't split infinitives this time. Mm-hmm. So there's a brief flashback to Archer's youth as he helped out his dad uh, back in the present, the NX-01 Enterprise exits the space dock. Archer states the course to Paul tells him the coordinates are slightly off, but Archer wants them to proceed anyway.
1: You know, yeah, it's by like 0.2 degrees or something. That's establishing. She's a very by the books. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, uh, Archer is of the Captain Kirk school. of.
1: Mm. You know. Yes, he's definitely the predecessor of Kirk yep. so far.
0: Uh, cut to an alien world. A shadowy figure is talking to one of the lizard skinned aliens about the status of the Klingon named Klang. Back on Enterprise in Bay. Flox is setting up, and Archer is talking to him. Uh, we learn that Flox is part of an interspecies medical exchange set up by the Vulcans. Archer wants clang up in about in about eighty hours, and or in about the eighty hours it'll take to get to Chronos. And Flox says he likes humans' optimism, and he gives Archer a really creepy smile. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like on top of the makeup uh he just gives him this creepy smile
0: yeah that's i'm yeah the cg smile was just really really unsettling
1: yeah like oh that's the that's the physical trait of this alien race is that they can do really creepy smiles
0: trip is in a jeffrey's tube when he encounters an upside down mayweather May- <laughs> Mayweather explains that he's in the ship's, quote, sweet spot. Through conversation, we learn that Mayweather is called a boomer and has been to several inhabited worlds, while Trip has only been to one besides Earth. Trip enters the galley and is offered a seat, but he's going to have dinner with the captain in the captain's private dining room. Inside the dining room, Archer and T'Pol are talking about her experiences on Earth. We learned that the Vulcan compound is in Sausalito. We also learned that Vulcans don't touch their food with their hands, and they're vegetarian. So Paul is skeptical about humanity's evolution into an enlightened species. Because, uh, you know, Trip and Archer are very much uh, meat and potatoes guys. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think, aren't they? They, when they get their food from, they, wait, they don't have replicators, do they? I can't remember. Yeah. But, anyways, when they get their food, it's like this giant steak. Yeah. It's like this giant ribeye and, like, potatoes. It's like literally meat and potatoes.
0: Yeah, meanwhile, Taval's cutting a breadstick with a <laughs> knife and fork. <sighs> On the bridge, Mayweather takes the ship to Warp 4.3 and then Warp 4.4. Uh, Hoshi is clearly uneasy about this. Phlox calls Archer and tells him that the Klingon is waking up. In sickbay, uh, Hoshi and Archer are observing or see Klang. Uh, Hoshi can't lock onto Klang's dialect with the translator, so oh. she tries to speak Klingon herself. Phlox informs them that Klang probably has no idea what he's saying, and the ship shakes as they drop out of warp. And then the power cuts out. On the bridge, Reed thinks he spotted a ship before the power went out, and uh, yeah, there are these the lizard skinned aliens on the ship. In sick bay, Archer wants to know why the auxiliary power hasn't kicked in, and Klang is yelling. And Hoshi notices that something is in the room with them. The alien fights a red shirt, <laughs> but then gets blasted. Uh, another alien drops down on top of Klang, and when the lights come back on, Klang is gone.
1: Like, gone. Not dead, but
0: yeah, literally gone. <laughs> yeah. Just totally
1: disappeared. Yeah. So they have, like, stealth transporter technology.
0: On bad. the bridge, Archer wants to know why they couldn't sense the alien invaders. Uh, Tabal says that he lost the Klingon, so the mission is over and they should go back to Earth. But Archer isn't having any of that. In uh, Archer's ready room, he takes out his anger on paul He's he's still bitter about the Vulcans holding back information that would have allowed them to build the warp engine faster and allow his father to see the final result. Uh, in Sickbay, Phlox is performing an autopsy on the alien that got blasted earlier. It, he says it's a Sulabon, uh according to his DNA. sulaban are no, supposedly no more evolved than humans, but uh, the anatomy has been purposely genetically altered to a very impressive degree, Dr. Flock says. Uh, which explains why they can, you know, do stuff like slide under silo doors and, you know, become invisible. And all that craziness. Uh, in engineering, Trip and T'Pol are examining the reading that Reed got from the Suliban ship. But uh, Trip is upset about T'Pol's attitude. Archer <laughs> enters and wants to know how close they are to tracking the Suliban ship's trail. T'Pol says the equipment on, on the Enterprise is lacking. Hoshi enters. Uh, she's very wary of the warp core. Uh, she's translated most of what Klang said. Uh, but he doesn't mention the Suluban. Tabal says the Suleban are somewhat primitive species uh, that have never posed the threat. Uh, Hoshi couldn't translate four of Klang's words, so uh, Archer asks T'Pol if she knows what they are. Uh, T'Pol tells Archer about the Rigel system. She hesitated revealing that because she knew that Klang had visited Rigel 10 before hitting Earth. And she wasn't planning on sharing that info because she lacked the authorization.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, so Archer tells Mayweather to set a course for Rigel 10. In an alien room, Clang is being interrogated by some Suliban. They're looking for something he was carrying. He tells them that he was on Rigel 10 meeting a Suliban female named Saren. On Enterprise and away team consisting of Archer, Trip, DePaul, Mayweather, Hoshi, and Reed. So almost all the main characters. <laughs>
1: Gotta stick with them, right? This is the pilot.
0: Yeah, I guess. But should you really have all your senior members going on an away mission? Uh,
1: uh, yeah, that would be like, oh, the entire bridge crew of the Enterprise, a uh, uh, next generation just uh, beamed down to a planet and left all the ensigns in charge.
0: Yeah. So they took a, they're gonna take a shuttle. To Rigel 10. They're wearing snazzy jackets, I've noted, and they're given translators. And so Paul gives them a briefing of what they can expect from the locals. The obviously the locals had never encountered humans before. And the humans have not never encountered these species before. So Rigel 10 is a snowy world uh, inside the marketplace. Trip is wowed by what he's seeing. He sees someone seemingly being attacked, but DePaul tells them that it doesn't concern them. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, Mayweather and Reed are in some sort of bar slash strip club where <laughs> lizard tongued women are eating butterflies, mm. and Reed is clearly not eager to leave.
1: <laughs> Actually, you know it, it. For for me, this part kind of harken back to the you know original series you know it was all about like the green you know slave girl dancing and you know like very sexy kind of thing you weren't used to seeing on star trek right so it's kind of different
0: yeah yeah it, you know it's kind of in a way like uh moss eisley cantina too mm-hmm. where are yeah. just encountering all these alien species in one place mm-hmm. cut back to trip he's sitting on a bench with some locals he sees a kid struggling to breathe and a woman using some sort of device on the kid. Uh, he thinks that the woman is uh, choking the kid, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, he like wants Making
1: to... him breathe something, some kind of noxious gas or something.
0: Yeah, he wants to go help the kid. Um, he sees that Tapal is busy ta- talking to someone. So he starts to go walk over, but Tapal comes back before he can get over there. And he's yelling at the woman to stop what she's doing. Tapal calls Archer and says that Clang was last seen on another level where they have live food. Uh, Trip yells at the woman again, but T'Pol informs him that their species can only breathe methyl oxide when they're children and that the mother is weaning her son. Mm. Uh, T'Pol warns him not to make assumptions about other cultures. Mm -hmm. And as they're leaving, a Sulaban turns around. Elsewhere. Uh, Archer and Hoshi are looking for the enclave where they have this live food. Uh, the place is empty. It's, uh, very industrial. Uh, they see some Klingons walk by and Archer and Hoshi try to get their attention. Um, they can't communicate out though. Archer's trying to reach to Paul, but nothing's getting through. And, uh, Archer realizes they're being watched. Uh, suddenly, some Suliban appear and grab them. Uh, Hoshi's placed in a cell with Trip and Tapal while Archer is taken to meet with Saren. Saren, played by Melinda Clark, who appears in several TV shows and other things. Uh, she's human. She appears human. Uh, she wants to know what happened to Klang. She kisses Archer and reverts to her Sulaban state. Uh, she reveals that she was part of the Cabal and is genetically altered, but she's no longer with them. And she has the ability to measure trust when she has close contact with someone. And she trusts Archer. Uh, She tells Archer that she gave a message to Klang, uh, a message to Klang to give to the Klingons. The Suleban have been making it look like uh, Klingon factions are attacking each other, and uh, Saren's message was proof that the Suleban were behind it all. The Suleubon are soldiers in a temporal cold war taking orders from a from the distant future. Now this is a very interesting plot point. Uh so, and you know they're sowing seeds for future storylines. Just then, uh, some bad Suleban attack, and uh, Saren frees the Enterprise crew and they all head towards the shuttlecraft. As they're escaping, Saren gets shot. Her last words are find Clang. Archer, Hoshi, Trip, and T'Pol make it to the roof, but they can't find the shuttle due to the storm. Reed and Mayweather are already in on the shuttle. Uh, T'Pol eventually finds them and knocks on the door. She's about to enter, but a Sulan ship appears, and the wash from the ship knocks her down. So Archer goes to rescue her and covers her escape, John Woo-style, two, mm-hmm. two guns. Just as he's about to make it to the shuttle, he gets hit. Uh, Trip and Reed rescue him, and they all fly away. As they're heading back to the ship, T'Pol tells Enterprise that she's taking command of the ship since the captain's incapacitated. Flashback to Earth. uh, Young Archer is flying his remote-controlled shuttle with his dad. Uh, The shuttle crashes, and Archer's dad says to not be afraid of the wind and to learn to trust it. A uh, young archer looks up and sees T'Pol, Uh Then cuts back to the present. Back on Enterprise, Trip and T'Pol are in a decontamination chamber because they're exposed to a spore. And Flock says he's treating Archer and that he'll be okay. This is a very fan servicey moment, I have to say. Yeah. As uh, Trip and T'Pol are rubbing decon gel on themselves and each other.
1: Yeah, they they go to its, like lengths to explain that. Uh, well, you know, it's 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 a gel, it's not like an aerosol. So they have to apply it. And in order to make sure it gets full coverage, they're gonna have to apply it to each other. And I was just like, huh. This again, this shows I think how the television landscape had changed um since um, you know, the previous series had been off the air.
0: Yeah, and also it's um I mean 709 brought a certain kind of sex appeal to the mm-hmm. show to Voyager and clearly they're continuing that with T'Pol. Mm-hmm. Uh they have expositional dialogue during this scene where they talk about their differing points of view in sickbay Archer is getting treated by Phlox uh, Phlox is using an eel to heal Archer's wound Archer's been out for six hours and T'Pol has been in command during that time Archer assumes they're going back to Earth, but surprisingly, T'Pol ordered them to follow the Suluban vessel instead. Hmm. Uh, Archer has a Captain Star log where we learn that the date is April 16th, 2151. Archer is perplexed by T'Pol's actions, since she's doing what he wants and not what she had advised in the past. Uh, I noted that in Archer's quarters, we see a water polo ball in the background. So it kind of gives him a little more character. On the bridge, Archer sees a class seven gas giant on screen. The Suleban were last seen in this area, but the trail went cold. Um Topal modifies the sensors uh to help to help pick up the trail. And uh yeah, the trail is of fourteen Suleban ships. On the planet, the Suleban are speaking with the shadowy figure again. Uh, cut back to Enterprise. They're flying through the gas giant's atmosphere. Uh, they spot a uh, a space station, and uh, but they're hit with particle weapons. Uh, so Enterprise escapes to a higher layer of the planet. They spot a non Suliban biosign on the station, and Reed suggests using the transporter to get uh, this biosign out. Obviously, this biosign is Clang. Uh but Archer doesn't want to risk killing Clang in the process since they came all this way to rescue him. Uh so they ha they hatch this plan to use grapplers. The Enterprise flies straight towards the Suleubon vessels, and as they pass them, Reed uses a grappler to grab one of the ships. Uh it's interesting to note that the grapplers in this era are, you know, physical ropes and cables as opposed to, you know, a tractor beam. Uh, elsewhere on the Enterprise, Mayweather goes over the Sublon controls with Archer and Trip. Uh, Trip is going to fly the Sublon ship because Mayweather is needed to pilot the Enterprise. In Archer's ready room, Archer and T'Pol are arguing. T'Pol says that they should wait and get a uh, wait and get help from a Vulcan ship that's less than two days away, but Archer wants to do it without Vulcan help. Reed enters with a device that will reverse the polarity of any mag locks within 100 meters. The Suluban space station is held together with mag locks. Reed also presents the new phase pistols that have two settings, stun and kill. Uh, Trip and Archer fly, uh, fly in the Suluban ship towards the station while the Enterprise waits and is under attack. Uh, unfortunately they can't change position because then archer won't be able to find them when he returns so they just kind of have to wait out the attack um trip and archer are flying towards the station trip bumps into it uh, which is a callback to when he bumped into the enterprise yeah they dock successfully uh trip and archer infiltrate the station and find clang as they're exiting clang starts yelling and uh, <laughs> shut up, Clang. <laughs> well, it's in his name. Uh, and then they <laughs> come under attack from some Sulubon. Uh, Archer sets up the maglock bomb, and uh, the whole station starts to fall apart. Unfortunately, there's no timer on this device, and so while Trip and Clang got away, Archer is stuck in the central core. Trip is flying back to Enterprise, but he can't find them. Uh Enterprise had to change positions a little bit because they were under attack. Uh back on Enterprise, Hoshi hears Tucker when everyone else hears noise. Uh, she has a very good ear, apparently. Mm. Uh, they find the shuttle, but they only there are only two biosigns, one Klingon and one human. Back on the station, Archer enters a uh, like this crazy doorway where the strobe light goes off and then it opens up and they're in the room where the shadowy figure appeared mm-hmm. and his emotion is all crazy, like echoes of each other, you know, on enterprise, Paul is going to deliver clang to Kronos, abandoning Archer. And uh, Trip is obviously upset about this. Uh, it's a battle between logic and loyalty. Uh, but Tripp wins out because Archer went back to save to Paul on Rigel 10. In uh, the crazy, echoey room, uh, Archer is speaking to a cloaked Sulaban, and the Sulaban knows who Archer is. Uh, cut back to Enterprise. They're about to depart for the station. Uh, in the crazy room, the Sulaban attacks Archer. Archer drops his phase pistol, and the Subban grabs it and fires. Archer gets out of the way, and the phase pistol hits a, a wall. Um, when it hits the wall, this huge shockwave happens and knocks the Subban down. And uh, Archer tricks the Bon into firing again, which causes a, nu- causes a distraction that allows Archer to dive into the exit. Uh, the Subban manages to catch up, however... And the two fight in the crazy strobe light room. <laughs> Outside, the Enterprise is evading Suliban ships. Um, they're trying to dock on the station. Inside the station, Archer and the Suliban are locked in combat. Archer manages to escape and run down the hall. Uh, he's about to get shot. But uh, he's suddenly transported off the Enterprise. And the Enterprise leaves the gas giant. See? The transporter, which was talked about in the beginning, is brought back. Again. Came
1: back around.
0: And apparently it doesn't scramble you like eggs. Yeah, it's it's all fine. It all worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, cut to Kronos. Archer, Hoshi, and T'Pol escort Klang into the meeting hall. Uh, a Klingon cuts Klang's hand and examines the blood. And they find the data they're looking for in Klang's DNA. See? Ooh. He's a courier. Mm-hmm.
1: You see, it's kind of like Johnny Mnemonic, only instead of in his brain or whatever. It's the hard drive in his head. It's uh, <laughs> it's in his blood. I'm sorry. That's a, a throwback to before Enterprise.
0: <laughs> uh, back on Enterprise in Archer's ready room, uh, Archer tells Trip and T'Pol that the Vulcans are sending a ship to pick up T'Pol and that the Enterprise will continue their voyage around the stars. Uh, Trip leaves. Archer talks to T'Pol. Uh, He wants to let go of his grudges against the Vulcans because of how helpful Tabal has been on this mission. Uh, And he'd like her to stick around and act as the science officer. Mm -hmm. Uh, He suggests that she asks for permission to stay so it doesn't look like he's asking for the Vulcans for help, however. On the bridge, Archer gives a speech and they're ready to go on their mission. They land a course towards an inhabited world. Uh, but this course will pass through an ion storm, and Mayweather asks if they should go around it. Archer says they can't be afraid of the wind, oh. which, is, which is the advice his dad gave him in that flashback. Uh, and they head on their way at warp four. Finally, the episode ends with a flashback to back on the beach. Archer is successfully flying his remote-controlled shuttlecraft with his dad. Yeah.
1: Well, there you have it.
0: A lot of stuff happened.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, and I think that you're, I mean, yeah, here's some kudos. Justin, you did a great job of summarizing the plot of this episode, which was, I mean, there was so much more that happened. And I I don't know if it was necessarily just even it wasn't even dialogue. There was just so much stuff going on in this episode that I was, I was like, this is a little too much. Like maybe I needed this to be over two nights or something. Um, but no, I mean, it, 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 uh, it was definitely a different kind of pilot. Um, and like you said, we, we talked about this a bit off mic. Um, it was, um, I mean, apparently kind of conceived that way from the beginning, uh, by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. Um, As they they wanted uh, and they admitted that this was kind of um, uh, sort of, uh, you know, pretentious, not pretentious, but they they basically said, you know, we want this to be the best Star Trek pilot ever. Um, And yeah, I'm not sure. What what do you think? I mean, what are your thoughts?
0: Um, I think in a lot of ways it might be the best Star Trek pilot. Mm. Uh, It's not a great episode um there are some pacing issues and um but i don't know thinking back to the tng pilot i mean it was good
1: it had q yeah
0: it is it established a lot of stuff but this one mm-hmm. did as well uh ds9 i didn't really care for the pilot that much and then of course voyager which we saw recently Mm -hmm. Um, caretaker was not great
1: (laughs) no i mean this definitely um in my book this was better than the voyager pilot um it's been a long time since i saw you know the pilot for um for the original series and of course there's some issues there because you know as originally was the pilot actually got turned into uh you know a later episode and kind of spliced together and and all that weirdness but i mean i thought that this was a a pretty solid show um it like you said there were pacing issues i felt like uh it almost tried to cram too much in um maybe not necessarily the general, the story wasn't that it involved, but just kind of the wealth of kind of goings-ons that were put in here was like kind of like a movie's worth, and it wasn't quite, it wasn't completely feature-length, you know, it's like, you know, however long two episodes are, so like 80 minutes or whatever. Um, One of my, so my biggest concern, you know, I I basically, I don't think I remember, I I, I did watch this when it first aired, um I remember that. Uh I I know that I mean at the time I didn't really care for it. I definitely liked it more by my second viewing. Um but I don't remember any of the rest of the series. I I'm got to say I'm a bit concerned at this point about this whole time travel aspect. Um you know, it just seems like we just got done with, you know, season 1 of Voyager when there's already, you know, time travel going on. <laughs> so, um I'm just concerned that it's a bit too much like a... I guess a MacGuffin isn't the right term, but it's a bit too much like a really convenient plot device. Like, you know, they can basically do anything. Like, they could rewrite Star Trek history if they
0: needed to. Which they are in a lot of ways, since this happens before all that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So
1: they could technically just say, oh, well, anything that, you know, happens after this doesn't really matter anymore because we have time travel. But, I mean, we've yet to see how it really how big of a role it plays
0: yeah uh i mean the idea of a temporal cold war is interesting i'd like to see how that plays out Mm -hmm. um it's kind of weird that they kind of just threw that in there and then didn't address it ever again
1: (laughs) yeah so the idea right is that the sullivan are getting their their orders from someone who's from the distant future right so i'm guessing at some point we're gonna you know find out who this person is i hope and they kind of what their their scheme is um i know that um you know just from having seen a little bit of voyager on and off you know past what we watch for the for the podcast that um there's some stuff about you know time but not time patrolling but there's you know there's like this futuristic branch of uh of Starfleet that's basically kind of polices the space time continuum. Right. <laughs> and uh and so I don't know if that's gonna come into play. I mean, I'm definitely intrigued and I'm I'm looking forward to kind of see where this go where this goes.
0: Yeah, I, I like the idea of having a big bed. Um mm-hmm. that's something that Voyager was lacking.
1: Yeah, I mean at least in the first season. I mean we thought it was gonna be, you know, at least something, you know, going on with um with like the, a mutiny or something but just never really manifested at least yet
0: yeah well not in the first season obviously yeah we didn't cover the whole entirety of voyager right um but yeah i'm interested to see where the temporal cold, cold war stuff goes uh the Suliban are an interesting uh enemy they're you know they're kind of the mirror version of humans that have force their own evolution through all this genetic modifications from from the future
1: yeah i kind of wonder if that's meant as kind of like a cautionary tale or it's supposed to you know like around the time that this premiered you know and i mean there's still a lot of talk about genetic manipulation and gene therapy and stuff like that but i wonder if that was meant to be some sort of you know oh see look what can happen you can become like a monster
0: yeah, oh, um, I mean that's a running theme. Like Khan, the story of Khan was mm-hmm. about that as well.
1: Yeah. Um so any characters that you especially liked or didn't like?
0: Uh I like Trip. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Great, we totally agree on that. <laughs> he's just a fun guy, you know. Mhm.
1: Yeah, he's like this like salt of the earth, you know really like you know down homey kind of guy right i just like i don't know it's like the actor i can't remember what i've seen the actor in uh other than this but i mean he just is like very natural like he comes across as like oh this guy feels like gen like a genuine person right um don't know archer to me seems a bit kind of like like he's like hamming it up a bit
0: like, yeah yeah i was definitely getting that oh
1: like like he's just like crying way too hard i hope that you know, as we keep watching that he becomes a little more, you know, like natural, a more at ease with this. Mm-hmm. Um, Hoshi. So I was expecting, um, I mean, Tapal does, Tapal is supposed to be kind of annoying. Like you're supposed to feel kind of like the crew does that. She's just kind of this annoying like intrusion by the Vulcans or whatever. Right. So so I was expecting to really not like Tapal. Um, but I actually ended up being kind of irked by, um, Hoshi. Like, <laughs> I think it's just weird. Like she, like all these weird little, like, um, neuroses, like she's scared of being on a spaceship kind of thing. I'm just like, ah, oh, come on. Like, why can't she just be cool and be like, you know, like, oh, she's like an expert in xenolinguistics and she's always helping out and stuff like that. It, it, I, I don't know. I well, just,
0: I mean, you have Mayweather, who's the enthusiastic young guy. Uh, yeah yeah like he's totally he's like the counter
1: hoshi like he's totally excited about being in space like he grew up in space he's like oh man i can't wait to go to warp 4.5 and then she's like oh my god i'm so scared like i kind of i'm like wait why are you in starfleet i mean i guess not everyone in starfleet goes on a starship but
0: she's just there to learn new languages Mm. uh, unfortunately that means traveling in a starship
1: (laughs) yeah i just i don't know about you but i just really hope that they don't like just continue to make a big deal out of how she's scared of space travel or something it's kind of like a uh, c-3po you know it's just <laughs> like it was it was funny once you know like but or twice or whatever but we don't need to hear it all the time please
0: uh reed is a character that's hard to get a feel for what he did
1: (laughs) Did to get a read
0: on yeah i I was trying to avoid saying that
1: (laughs) well leave it to me
0: (laughs) but um yeah he's not a really fully developed character Mm -mm. yet no but but his his pairing with mayweather is interesting Mm because mayweather is the happy-go-lucky enthusiastic guy and reed is the cynic uh and i like flocks a lot actually
1: Yeah, you know, Flocks, when I first saw him, I don't know how you felt, but I was like, oh my God, it's, it's Neelix 2.0. Yeah, I
0: was afraid it was Neelix 2.0.
1: But there's not, you know, I guess we, we could say that there's humor. There's humor on this show. Um, there's like little jokes between Trip and Archer, you know, little kind of like wink kind of things. Um, Archer's got that kind of like, you know, homey kind of, I guess, homey, like, you know, it's kind of like yuck yuck you know tell some little jokes here and there but i mean compared to where you know voyager where they were like we're gonna have this constant or almost constant comic relief with with neelix and the doctor um you know bless the doctor but (laughs) um this was really pretty serious actually i don't think we really talked about that like it was it after watching voyager for a season i mean coming into this this was like whoa this is like hardcore this is a serious show um and so i was totally you know after my experience with neil <laughs> um, i was expecting uh flox to be some sort of like funny doctor kind of thing but no he's like a serious guy like he's a, he's a legit doctor who puts eels in people's legs
0: <laughs> yeah um and he obviously brings the outsider's perspective to humanity um, mm-hmm. which you, you know you you see often in star trek shows
1: yeah but i mean he's i like it. he's like fascinated by all the new stuff and he's interesting um you know it's definitely it's, it's cool to have an, like an alien character as part of the main crew i mean you have to paul but you know we've we've kind of seen we you know we've been there and done that with so many Vulcan characters. I
0: mean, a Vulcan science officer. That's
1: whoa! Way to break, <laughs> way to break the trend.
0: Yeah, but um,
1: no, I mean, I if if Hoshi can can calm down, <laughs> calm down Hoshi. Uh, if Hoshi can calm down and maybe Topal can mellow out a little bit, um, because she's almost like aggressively Vulcan. Yeah. Um, it's it's really over the top like you know i thought tuvok was a grumpy guy but um tuvok is like you know compared to her he's like sitting sitting on a beach with a drink in his hand you know wearing a hawaiian shirt to paul's <laughs> uh, like no no not gonna have it um but as long as you know hoshi can kind of get it under control i'm i'm pretty excited about oh, oh hoshi get under control and archer not ham it up so much <laughs> um and overact um i'm like pretty excited about the crew um especially like trip and flocks i think they're pretty awesome
0: yeah they're my two favorites for sure um yeah i mean even within this first two-parter i mean i would like to see more about reed uh, Mm -hmm. just because he's kind of a non-character at this point Mm -hmm. Um, yeah
1: yeah, uh, you know one one other thing. Just kind of final observation was I I realized that um well it's kind of two parts to this I, I I I don't know about you but I didn't get the feeling or the sense that there are a lot of crew members on the ship like we see other people but it's very like it's super focused on this main cast right um and I'm hoping that that also kind of, because was like part of the the charm of you know. I guess charm is the right word, but it's part of the charm of the other track series is that you get these little stories and they like involve other characters on the ship, or you know uh you get to see some a character like Barclay on Next Generation get kind of elevated to like a main cast member uh for a while so i'm kind of I'm interested in that i mean obviously there's a lot they can do. they can have as many crew members as they want, right um but the other part is um the fact that. The crew is like overwhelmingly human. Well, I mean, as I far mean, as I know, there as far as I can tell, there's just Flocks and T'Pol are the only
0: right. I mean, and that makes sense. Because... Yeah, it's a
1: human ship. It's not a Starfleet, or it's not a United Federation. It's a planet ship. Yeah, it's a human. It's like from Earth. It's an like Earth ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it should be interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the ship itself? Uh... The design of the ship? The the design of the ship and the interior design where it's a little more industrial.
1: uh... Actually, I kind of like it. I mean, I think the ship looks really cool. um, And I like the kind of, like, throwback stuff. The only thing is, I mean, I think this was... I remember reading something about this on the uh, the internet at the time, which, (laughs) you know, the World Wide Web of the time, um, was that, you know, they were pointing out that this predates... um, you know, the original series, obviously. And then it was like way more high tech than the original series in some ways. So it's kind of weird. Like, you know what? I mean, what are you going to do? You can't have a show where it's like, I mean, I guess what you could do is have it look like the interior of like current day space shuttles or something.
0: Uh, I mean, I feel like they kind of did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly like, their uniforms are very utilitarian, uh, mm-hmm. with the jumpsuits and everything.
1: Yeah. They're more like astronaut, uh, jumpsuits kind of thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's definitely not like you know like refined clothing of you know the 24th century or whatever
0: uh, i do appreciate that they went back to the uh classic color scheme where mm-hmm. the, uh, the gold is command and red is you know engineering and all that mm-hmm. yeah what did you what did you think uh of the ship yeah uh i like the ship's design um it's a little bit weird initially but because it's just like a flattened version of the enterprise that yeah. we know i want an animated
1: gif of you know the evolution of the enterprise and just kind of cycle through all the <laughs> versions it'll go from flat to a little taller than to wider than yeah
0: yeah uh it's it's everything's uh very dark aboard the enterprise
1: mm-hmm. it's like a grittier star trek so far
0: uh, yeah. I mean, just even just the lighting, it's, mm-hmm. it's
1: definitely not the J.J. Abrams Enterprise Bridge.
0: Yeah. It's That's not, for sure. not the Apple store in space
1: <laughs> with Lynn's Flare Arama.
0: Yeah. I can see why I didn't continue Enterprise just because so much stuff happened and all the characters aren't really that well developed and no one's, you know, like the story didn't really hook me that much. But looking at it now, I can see the promise of what the show could be, and uh, it's exciting.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you, you, you've you seen a lot of really bad sci-fi TV since <laughs> uh, you decided to pass on Enterprise, and so have I. And so now I'm like, oh, this is looking pretty good. <laughs> I've seen a lot of really bad, you know, space opera stuff since then, um, and nothing really that great. I mean, Battlestar Galactica, obviously, but, you know.
0: I mean, I was just going to say, this does remind me of Battlestar Galactic in a lot of ways in terms of mm-hmm. design.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely more BSG than anything, than yeah. anything Trek has done, you know, so far. And I mean, like I said, the Abrams, or you were saying it's like an Apple store in space. I mean, this is very like nitty gritty, like gritty mm-hmm. space travel kind of thing. So, no, I'm I'm super excited. Um you know, I'm not excited to, uh, to hear that theme song ever again. <laughs> sorry, man. Um, yeah, well, so I was actually reading a uh, little bit of info on it. Um, the song is, uh, not faith of the heart. It's uh, called where my heart will take me. Um, and it is written by a woman named Diane Warren. I'm sorry, uh, Ms. Warren, uh, sorry to bag <laughs> on your work. Um, but here, this might, shed a little bit of light on this for you um it apparently was originally titled faith of the heart no surprise um it originally appeared though in the 1998 film patch adams hmm. uh, on the soundtrack for that for that comedy uh, by the late robin williams uh where it was originally performed by one rod stewart ah that's, that makes <laughs> there a you lot go. Of sense. yes so um yeah
0: um it's oh, a very very odd choice for a Star Trek oh, show. It is
1: like tonally it is so weird. Like I want I so want some sort of, you know, um uh some sort of orchestral kind of Star Trek theme.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I don't know like fitting this kind of grittier world and then you have that song. It, yeah clashes so much you
1: know though one thing that it does kind of fit and i really like again i really hope this improves is it kind of fits like the hokiness of archer like his kind of like i'm captain archer let's go out there and see what's out there and i'm like ugh, like come on man like i, I get the whole exploration thing but can we just like come on <laughs> yeah, let's like, boldly go let's not rod stewart it out there please
0: look it's been a long road <sighs> getting from there uh, to here it's uh, been a long time, uh, a long time,
1: uh, time i've got strength linear. i've got strength of the soul no one's gonna bend or break me <laughs> i can reach any star this is nuts this was on the patch Adams soundtrack it kind of <laughs> sounds like it was written for a star trek but um
0: unfortunately uh
1: Anyways, yeah, I think we probably spent the majority of this episode talking about the theme.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a lot to unpack from that theme song.
1: I mean, I think pretty much anyone you talk to about... You mention Enterprise, and the things that they will bring up are that, you know, canceled. Um, And uh, you get the joke from Futurama, where where they say, like, way to kill the franchise, Bacula. And... (laughs) and the other one though like the one i hear the most is the the theme song <laughs> it's like like you know you know something was up when that's like the thing people remember the most is the theme song um and i just i can't get past it i I hope i can get past it but at this moment i'm just like like they were they were so committed to it they just like we can't change it at this point yeah because yeah. I don't think it ever gets changed. No, I don't think so. Ugh. Anyways, um yeah. So many TVs at the time. <laughs> I think maybe there were TVs, but like so many televisions were set to mute during this.
0: <laughs> Ugh. yeah, just speed through it, you know. Yeah. On Netflix you could just cut to the next section, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I got to get over it.
0: <laughs> um next week we're going to talk about the episode Fight or Flight.
1: Ooh, I think it's going to have a bit of both. Probably. Knowing Captain Archer.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, this is a pilot. They're yeah. kind of establishing the world and the characters, but the characters change and grow over time.
1: Oh, and uh, we didn't even talk about it was in HD. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was nuts. It was definitely the best, like,
0: looking Star Trek,
1: I guess. not. Maybe not design of the ship and stuff, but, like, visual quality wise it was pretty crazy to see something like this in HD anyways
0: yeah. uh, thanks for listening everybody and we'll talk to you next week
1: yeah see you then uh, and don't forget to keep faith
0: <laughs> because I've got faith
1: of the heart
0: it's been a long time but my time is finally near and I will see my dream
1: come alive and last I will touch the sky And they're not gonna hold me down no more No, they're not gonna change my mind Cause I've got faith of the heart